As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. The presenting sponsor for State of the Nation is Visa, a network working for everyone. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined, as always, by Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed, and Ted Wynn. And the Raiders are back to 7-7. Seven and seven. They are 500, entering the final three games after a 16-14 win over the Cleveland Browns, a game that was postponed two days due to a you know, huge outbreak of COVID-19 with the Browns. They had one point, had 21 players on the reserve COVID-19 list. And the Raiders were sitting on a bus getting ready to head to Cleveland, head to the airport. When they were told, no, you're going to postpone this two days. Some players not happy. Some players a little bit more okay with it. We'll get into that later. But the Raiders, two days later, um, they come away with a win. And they beat a Browns team that was starting the third string quarterback in Nick Mullins. If they want to consider themselves still in this playoff mix, they absolutely had to have it. And it took down to the wire a Daniel Carlson 48-yard field goal as time expired. But they were able to beat the COVID-depleted Browns. And, and now they're they're 7-7. Seven and seven And they can theoretically think of a, of a world in which they run the table, get to 10-7, and, seven and and maybe that's enough. The postponement, I think, actually helped them. I, I know the Browns did get some players back, and the Raiders ended up losing Nate Hobbs. But on Saturday, it rained in Cleveland, and the skies cleared up on Monday. And if you saw this game and you saw how the Raiders were running the ball, there was no way they were going to move the ball at all against Cleveland, even with all their guys out, if they had to get stuck in a game where you just have to run back and forth. And you saw what Cleveland was eventually able to do after wearing out the Raiders defense. So, you know, I know the postponement got a lot of people mad and rightfully so because, you know, the, the Raiders had almost no COVID cases compared to the Browns. But I think in this case, it, you know, actually kind of indirectly helped them win the game. Yeah, not that, you know, obviously the, the Raiders passing game wasn't 
great in this one, but you figure if there was rain and windy conditions, like they would have been, you know, as you said, pretty much having to lean on their run game, which was like early on in the game. I think through three quarters, they were averaging like 4.1 yards per carry. So that, that was as good for them, like compared to what they've been doing for most of the season. So they actually were able to, to run the ball at a decent rate in this one. But, and you know, also with the whole postponement thing, like I don't, the Browns had to play on Christmas. So I don't think they were super excited about the prospect of playing Monday and turning around playing Saturday. So it's not like they're, helping their chances at all of making the playoffs by this game getting pushed back, really. Yeah, you know, this is a game the Raiders definitely had to have. A couple of days postponement or not, I mean, you're going against Nick Mullins and a bunch of replacement players that a lot of us haven't heard of. You know, some Browns beat writers probably haven't heard of some of the guys. So, you know, it ended up being probably a lot tighter at the end as it probably should have been given, you know, how they looked early on in this game. But, you know, mathematically, you know, they're only one game back of a playoff spot right now, theoretically, if they were to, running the table with the tiebreakers and how it looks. There is an outside chance of making the playoffs. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure this is a, a win that they're, they're championing as one of their best, best of the season, but they, they needed it to stay alive. And really, they need everyone to stay alive. I think if they, they lose another game this season, they're, they're pretty much done. That was a, a great finish. I mean, it wasn't a, a great game, but I thought the finish was great. I loved how uh, Derek Carr, after hearing everyone telling him to be more aggressive, just chucks up for grabs. Like, you know what? Well, aggressiveness, watch this. Just flings it up there. Like two cornerbacks with uh, Zay Jones gets picked off, and then everyone thinks that they're done. But the defense makes a great stand. They they stopped Nick Chubb, and I didn't think people thought they probably could on, on three runs. They did. Some nice plays by Jonathan Hankins and Max Crosby in those three. And then uh, they gave Derek Carr and Zay Jones another chance. And uh, Daryl Carlson you know, he showed why they gave him all that money. So a very nice finish. Uh, what you guys said was a very big game for him. I mean, it's it's a results-oriented business. We do like to stare up at the scoreboard and see what happens. And, you know, obviously, if Daniel Carlson doesn't make that field goal at the end, if they don't get the defensive th- three and out there after the car interception, then we're having a whole different conversation. We're talking about how the Raiders lost to a team that was missing 18 players and had to start its third-string quarterback. But they made the plays when they needed to. I think in terms of, you know, when you look at the postponement, had... Them pushing it back a couple of days. I mean, up until this morning, the Browns, I think, believed had hope and, and Baker Mayfield had hope that he would be able to get those two negative tests that he needed and would be able to play. If something like that had happened, if suddenly the Browns, after getting it pushed back two days, had gotten this huge surge of players. Obviously, they got John Johnson, uh, you know, key safety. I mean, they got a couple of guys back. But if they had been able to like suddenly get five, six, you know, half their starters that they were going to be without back, then I, if, if I'm the Raiders at that point, I would have been pretty upset. But it was still a very COVID-depleted Browns roster. And I mean, Max Crosby was actually happy about the postponement. He said his calves were a little bit sore on Friday and he, he got to get a little bit extra rest. And then uh, he enjoyed what was really for him a, a cool day with before the game being told that he made his first Pro Bowl team. But one of the more disappointing parts of the game was the pass rush. The Raiders' pass rush was pretty much... So you want to take away Crosby's Pro Bowl now? <laughs> no, no, no. He was, he, away? He's been amazing this whole season. But I'm just saying, I expected a, a much better pass rush against Cleveland's backup tackles, especially in those key third downs when they knew they had to pass. They, they weren't keeping in guys to protect a chip. I was surprised Crosby and Ngakwe, you know, didn't eat up these tackles like they have been all season. I thought the Browns players stepped up. You mentioned the linemen stepped up. I thought they made some defensive plays uh, throughout the game. So I thought they actually, I mean, they had a chance to win this game. I think they played pretty hard. and I think they had a nice job of the coaching staff to get, to get these guys ready. So people are going to look at the 18 guys being out, but still – 
guys who get checks to play football. So I think, I mean, it's still a win. It's a good win. It's a win they had to have. And I know everyone's going to look at the, the backups and think it's a big asterisk game. But I think that's, that's the way you look at it. You look at it as a win, and they're 7-7. Seven and seven. They're, they're now we're tied for 10th in the playoff race. I think there's four teams who are 7-7. Seven and seven. So, yeah, they got to win out. But, uh, you know, at least there's still a, still a possibility. Let me see what the pass rush, I think, like, you know, obviously Mullins was trying to get the ball ball out of his hands pretty quick to to avoid that. And I think for, for the Raiders, I mean, this game, I don't think it was ever really – it'd be nice to have a great pass rush game, but it was always going to be about, like, how well they stopped the run. And, I mean, through the first half, I mean, the Browns had hardly any – I think they had 12 rushing yards at halftime. And, you know, for Nick Chubb, it was a relatively pedestrian game. And then for their rushing game overall, one of, one of their worst rushing games is offense this season. And I don't think Crosby and Gakwe played as much because we did see Nassib come back and play and, and Farrell played. And, they were just mixing it up a lot on the D-line. I think they kind of prioritized stopping the run. We saw a lot more base defense for them in this game with, with three linebackers on the field. And so I think they were kind of like, you know, we'll, we'll live with Nick Mullins trying to beat us through the air. We're just going to try to load, load up and, and stop the run. And, and that game plan ended up working for him for, for most of the game. Yeah, no, I, I get that. But, you know, I thought in a few, like, critical third downs in that fourth quarter, I, I just thought Mullins had way too much time to sitting back there. But, I mean, one player that played really well was Jonathan Abram. I thought he was, he was all over the field. He was a big part of stopping a run. He made some good tackles in, a, in, in the short passing game. So, yeah, I, I give my hats off to the defense. I just thought there would be a lot better pass rush with those backup tackles in. But I, I think offensively, it's pretty concerning to see the Raiders' inability to score points and, and move the ball consistently on this uh, depleted roster. I think that's the, the most concerning part of this game. It seemed like this was a game. I mean, we saw Hunter Renfro only had three catches. I know it was talked about on the broadcast that there were some plays where they were you know, kind of sending three guys in his direction. It, it looked like this was maybe a game where the Browns were, were not going to let Renfro beat them. You know, Zay Jones was obviously clutch at the end. Foster Moreau, seven catches. Deshaun Jackson really, outside of that Cowboys game, has not been a major part of this offense. He had a big drop in this one on what should have been a nice completion. Without Darren Waller, I mean, we... Really don't know what kind of his status is. I mean, it's it's starting to get concerning that maybe he it's going to be season ending. I don't know. You know, we're not really hearing much without the dynamic of having that true number one option. You know, if teams are going to start throwing extra attention at Hunter Renfro, uh, we're going to have to see other pass weapons uh, step up. Also, Moreau had some drops issues the last few weeks, but I will say that last play where he got the extra yards, the six extra yards, was footwork on the sideline and got out of bounds. That was a game, a game saving play. I mean, definitely he met, showed nice awareness and some nice nimbleness to get uh, those extra yards and to get out of bounds. Looked like he'd be cut off. There was three guys right there. Should have tackled him in bounds. That was kind of a, a game decider. So I think you're right. Waller's a huge, a huge loss, and Moreau can't fill those shoes. But he made a key play when he had to, and that was a big part of the win. I know they had the Cowboys, you know, kind of explosion as the outlier, but I mean, I think we kind of have to, at this point, you know, since the bye, this offense just isn't good anymore. I mean, they, they only scored more than 20 points once out of, out of one of the seven games now. And, you know, obviously, I mean, we talked about a lot in combination with, with, with losing Henry Ruggs and Darren Waller not being in there. I mean, it's just a completely different, like the entire dynamic of the offense has just changed drastically. And, you know, if Warwick comes back, obviously it'll be better. But I don't, I don't think at any point, I mean, this, we're, you know, three games left in the season. Like this offense obviously isn't what it was last year. This, I wouldn't put it in, in the category of a good offense. It's like it's an average to below average offense that like might have some flashes here and there. But, you know, they're not going to be airing teams out, I don't think, or, or running up the scoreboard. You know, if they're going to win these three games down the stretch, it's probably going to be these closely contested, tight games where they have to rely on their defense to make plays and come up with enough stops. So I don't think they're going to be 
scoring 30 points and 40 points and things like that is probably going to allow these more low-scoring games that they'll have to try to win. Yeah, I mean, if you look at this offense without Darren Waller, it's an offense with a offensive line that really struggles pass blocking, really struggles run blocking. They don't really have any outside weapons. Hunter Renfro is a good slot receiver weapon, but he's not, you know, instilling fear into a bunch of defenses. They could, they could, and they could triple team because there's no other threat that they have to worry about. Josh Jacobs, I think, is a, is a pretty good player, but he can't do much when, you know, he can't get any run blocking. He's getting hit in the backfield. So, yeah, I mean, it's not surprising. This is straight up a below average offense. And, you know, maybe they could do some things when Darren Waller comes back, but it's just, pretty bleak right now i thought peyton barber gave him a spark in the first half he had like five touches i think 10 yards a pop only got the ball one second half that was when they blew the uh the blocking assignment he got killed but i thought he gave him a little spark maybe sometimes certain running backs run better with certain lines maybe he's better at the inside stuff but i was surprised that he did so well in the first half and it was kind of forgotten about in the second half We've talked often on this show about the uh, the fifth year option, and w- when Peyton Barber can give you a spark at running back, uh, I think that kind of starts telling you everything you need to know about that fifth year option. But Vic, you would you would call that this was a big opportunity for Jacobs to kind of start earning his way toward that option, and um, he's fine, you know, he he's fine. Just make some plays, you made nice, nice catch and runs. I thought he showed a little uh, some nice uh, some cutbacks uh, in the second half, but again, I just don't know. Um, Seems like the, the, he's not in sync. Obviously, the O line is not very good. But obviously, I don't think he, he I don't know if he trusts them or he doesn't know whether there's he, there's nothing not clicking with those those two things. And I'm not saying Barber's better. I'm just saying in the first half at least, he seemed like he was able to get some more yards going, some more momentum on his runs than Jacobs did. So I mean, not I'm not starting a controversy at running back, but I thought Jacobs was fine. I thought. Um, but you're right. If you want him to pay him ten million dollars for the fifth year, you got to see a little more than a little more than fine. When you think about Jacobs, if you look at his whole life, probably really his first couple of years with the Raiders, he played behind a very good offensive line. He played at Alabama, where everybody is NFL caliber offensive lineman. I mean, he's never played behind a bad offensive line. Probably, I don't know. Maybe go back to high school. Maybe he had a, a couple guys. But I mean. He's probably never played behind an offensive line that isn't just creating holes and, and road grading in front of him. So I met that could be part of the issue is that, you know, you, we've talked about, you know, kind of the trust, you know, he, they, they need him to trust that offensive line. And it's just maybe something he's never really had to pick up because he's just always used to those guys being able to make their blocks. You're partly right with that because he's a patient runner, you know, kind of like Le'Veon Bell. He likes to set up his, his blocks and then find a hole. And that could be a very explosive type of runner if you have the offensive line in front of you. But, you know, with this line, you have to be kind of a slasher, you know, and and that's just not really his style. And another thing, you know, Kurt Warner mentioned on the broadcast, too, is when when defenses see Jacobs in, they're going to be a little more focused on a run. They might put an extra guy in the box. But when they see Peyton Barber in, they might relax a little and you know, start defending the pass too. So I definitely think it's twofold. But yeah, I, I do agree that Jacobs is more of a, a patient kind of set up the block type of runner before blasting through the line of scrimmage. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about the Derek Carr interception, um, because that was, if the Raiders lose this game, that is the play that everybody is talking about. Vic, you know, joked about it. You know, we have, be aggressive and boom, he, he he took that shot. You know, and I know, Ted, you tweeted that based on the coverage, it was the right play. He 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 made the right throw. And from Carr and, and Zay, Zay Jones talking after the game, it seemed that the, the blame there was kind of placed on Zay Jones, that he needed to accelerate more after the ball, that... um. He got the right look. He got the right coverage. That's what he's supposed to do in that situation. And it's kind of on Zay to, to go after it and, and go make a play on that ball. It was cover four. And in cover four, a split field safety has to take the number two receiver in coverage if he goes vertical. So Renfro ran a vertical route. The safety went with him. All the underneath guys stayed underneath. So you have a one-on-one with Zay Jones and a corner, which is exactly what the play was designed to do. And then he's supposed to run a post right to where everybody's vacated. And that's where he went. But I, I don't know if it's Jones' fault that he didn't accelerate or he's just not fast enough and he couldn't beat Greedy Williams, I think it was, across his face. And, and then Carr had a little pressure, so he threw the ball a little high and it ended up getting picked off. So technically it was the right throw. You know, I think you could debate about the play call, you know, calling a shot play in that situation. But I think Carr did what he was supposed to do. It's just, you know, you they just don't have speed at the receiver position right now. Yeah, I'd be a hypocrite if like a Carr gets like the blame for the check down stuff a lot and people get mad, pissed off, and he's like all super safe on like third downs. But then like when he tries a, a deep shot in a desperation situation and he gets picked off, he's like, Oh, what are you doing? Why are you being so reckless? Like you can't have it both ways. Like, you know, he was I think for most of the season he's been aggressive and, and as he said, he tried to come into this game uh, with some aggression. I, I remember another play earlier in the game. Uh, he, I forget, I forget where they were, but they had a uh, Hunter Renfro look like open on a third down. I mean, he, he tried the deep shot to Deshaun Jackson on that play. It's like, I mean, you could just take the first down. But he's like, he's trying to push down the field and get these explosive plays. And, you know, that's the mindset that you want him to have. And I mean, but with that, it, it, you know, these, obviously the percentages on, on those plays are lower and, and it comes with more risk. So you have plays like that where that happens. And also just because of the personnel, I mean, obviously Zay Jones isn't, you know, Darren Waller or Ruggs or some of these other guys uh, deep down or even Deshaun Jackson. And so, uh, you know, things just kind of, it happens. I think it's those plays where, like, it wasn't a great throw, but it was good enough. I think in those kind of plays, like Carr mentioned, I mean, he took the blame for it himself, but he also mentioned that... He took, he took the blame with, with, with a wink. He's like, Zay, wink. Yeah, Zay, Zay, Zay will tell you he should have made the play, but, but right. it's my fault. I, I threw a pick. He said, but I think the, those kind of throws, you trust the receiver to, if you can't make the catch, you got to make sure that it's broken up. You got to become a defensive back at that point. So what he can't do is let the DB run and go catch it if that's what you're trying to do. So I think that's where that trust Hector comes in. And, uh, you know, I think about Zay Jones. Everybody thinks I was his, you know, president of his fan club in training camp. But the thing is, that's not his strength. Like, those deep balls, he's not good at tracking. He's shown several times he's not great at tracking those deep balls. And that's been the thing. I'm like, have they ever hit one of those? I'm not sure they ever hit one of those things down deep to Zay Jones. I mean, keep trying. And it's nice. I mean, I know they're, they're tight and everything. And it's great that they're such good friends and they trust each other. But those plays, 
after a while, you got to say, maybe that's the wrong guy. Maybe we try something else going deep. Obviously, practice squad guy, Deshaun yeah, Jackson. Deshaun wasn't even in that last drive. I just don't know if tracking the deep balls is, uh, I think it's improving. That's not a strength uh, of Zay Jones. He's a four, five, four, six guy. And, it, it, you know, it looks like it on the field, too. He's just not a deep ball winner. The only deep ball he got was that one in overtime. But Renfro set a pick for him, and he was wide open. Overtime in, um, in Baltimore. Yeah, Renfro set a pick for him, and nobody was near him. That's the only one I remember. You would have caught that one. That was I mean, there was no one around him. So I mean, Zay Jones. I mean, after that play, I mean, like you know, obviously his reaction to it. You know, he felt like it was his fault. He let him down. He he was down on the sideline, and it took Derek Carr coming up to him and and basically saying, "Hey, like I I'm gonna come back to you. You're gonna win us this game." And that is what happened. Uh, he you know he caught one pass that got them. Into field goal range, uh, got called back on a holding call on, on Colton Miller. But then they were able to go back to him. A couple plays later, he made a big catch. We've been kind of waiting for for somebody, you know, at, since they lost Henry Ruggs, some receiver to step up. Obviously, we know Hunter Renfro. We know what he's done. He's had, you know, he'd had a run of 30 catches over the last uh, three games. He, he's now one catch away, guys, from 90 yards. MJD can uh, can start dusting his shoulders off uh, when, when Renfro gets to that 90-catch season. But uh, we've been waiting for somebody to step up. You know, Brian Edwards had a nice touchdown catch today. Zay Jones made some big plays. I mean, still, it's it's not what they need out of the receiving crew, but maybe something to build on for Zay Jones, and maybe they can start finding a, a way for him to, to to build a little bit more of a role for them. Yeah, he had a solid game against the Cowboys. I think that was probably the only game since the bye week where Renfro had a good game. Jones and, and Jackson obviously had his big game when, when Waller went down. That was really the only game where they had multiple receivers really clicking like that. And I don't know if Renfro is getting doubled and, and tripled every week. So we kind of have to see if guys you know can can just win win more matchups, uh, especially downfield. Brian Edwards is another name that comes to mind. I know he had the, the fade, the five-yard fade, but he just hasn't been able to show the ability to, to create separation downfield from guys. And so I don't really know if there's going to be a consistent thing. I don't think anything really for this offense at this point has been consistent. It's just kind of like who steps up this week with them. Like I think Renfro and, and Waller, when he's healthy, are really the only constants. Um, whether it's the, the offensive line randomly being good at run blocking one week, being terrible at pilot blocking the next week, the receivers coming and going. It's just kind of like, you know, you have to kind of, kind of see who's clicking. So I'm not so sure that this is going to, you know, start some trend for Jones down the stretch this season, but it was helpful for him to get the win in this one, obviously. I wonder if uh, they'll start giving Tylen Wallace some uh, some reps as their deep shot guy because they did they did activate him to, in, to the roster today, right? Like the last two weeks, I think. Yeah. yeah so he, he's a he's a four three guy, and you know I wonder maybe because this Deshaun Jackson thing isn't working out, maybe they start giving him some shots, or I, I don't know if they just need him as a backup, or are they playing him on special teams or something? But oh, you mean a. Uh... Tyron Johnson. Okay. Yeah, Ty, yeah. My, sorry, sorry. <laughs> He's a four-three guy that you know might get a shot as a as a deep ball winner. You know, one thing that was weird about Hunter Renfro's game is he he str- really struggled um, with the uh, with the punt returning today. Bisaccia blamed it on going up against a left-footed punter, which uh, I know. I mean, you do hear that that it is a, a different rotational kind of spin, um, and you know, probably some wind issues. But uh, yeah, a little, a little bit of a tough day for Renfro in the uh, in the punt return game. Officially, the Raiders were charged with fumbling five times. They only lost one of them. Uh, Hunter Renfro had three fumble recoveries, two of his own, and then I think he recovered uh, Brian Edwards' uh, fumble. But I think coming off having four fumbles against the Chiefs, they got a little bit of a, a issue there. I mean, turnovers have been pretty bad since the bye, too. So turnovers and penalties, which they had a ton of offensive line penalties in this one. And, you know, Zay Jones, Redeeming Momentum's got, you know, fucked up by 
it was a questionable holding call on, on Cole Miller, but it was still a holding call. Like they, man, they've had a few holding calls throughout this game. So, but again, like at this point, that's probably just who they are. So they have to win in spite of that if they if they do get it done. I was going to say that was a very questionable holding call uh, on Colton Miller. And that could have changed the game because they, they were ready in field goal range. And, you know, they had to really come up with some last minute heroics to get back into field goal range because of that penalty. But when you watch that penalty, the defensive end was slipping. And if you talk to offensive line guys and, you know, holding is when you restrict the guy's movement. Sometimes your arms might end up around a guy accidentally, but if you're not restricting his movement, that's not holding. So, like, the guy was slipping on the ground. You know, there was no reason to hold him. I was like, sometimes your arms are around him accidentally. Like, I'll just give him a hug <laughs> accidentally. You want to take a nice picture with him? Yeah. I mean, you're punching, you know. Sometimes your arms aren't in the right place sometimes. But if you're not restricting his movement, you know, that's not that's not holding. Yeah, these officials definitely were definitely, uh, I don't want to say flag happy, but there are a lot of calls on both sides that um, fans on both sides were happy with. I know that first PI call. Uh, against it was the one Jay Jones, a deep ball early on. Browns fans thought that wasn't a pass interference. So I think these professionals definitely wanted to exert their, their presence. But, um, you know, Raiders showed a lot of grit. I mean, they overcame some all these, like you mentioned, all these calls. They you know, overcame a bad offensive day. They overcame, you know, like, a lot. And they were down, you know, they were down 14-13. The crowd's going nuts. It looked like they are in really bad shape. But I think you listen to Max Crosby and some other guys after the game, there's definitely a sense where that they still have confidence in Derek Carr. Like, if you give him another chance, we're going to win the game. And they did, and he did. So I think that definitely is a nice little growing you know, step for next week. And they, they get the Broncos now without uh, Bridgewater. So that's a, that's a plus, easier to beat. Yeah, Drew Locke, I'm sorry for his fan club, but doesn't like that, that comment. <laughs> but um, I think they have a shot. They have a shot to go 8-7, and seven, which I wouldn't have thought of was possible you know, after that Chiefs game. And one more guy I'll highlight is I thought Divine Diablo played another good game. Uh, you know, I really studied his game against the Chiefs, and I thought he played well. I thought he was a tick slow processing some inside run concepts. But, you know, overall, you see his traits pop out. He, You know, he's running sideline to sideline. He's pretty physical, pretty strong in coverage. And on that third down, that last third down, they had to get a stop to get the ball back. He blew up the fullback, and Jonathan Hankins blew up the center, and he made Chubb cut back into Hankins and, and they both were in on that last tackle. So, I mean, that, that's a huge play for, for a rookie to make in that moment. So, yeah, you know, I think there's some promise with Diablo and uh, I could see why Corey Littleton is getting benched for, for Diablo right now. Yeah, I was going to mention, I mean, like Littleton, I mean, he played a little bit against the Chiefs, like maybe 20 snaps. But in this game, he only played five snaps and that really just happened because Diablo got, got banged up for a little bit there in the third quarter. So if it wasn't that, I don't think Littleton would have played on defense, which – you know, given his cap hit this year and, you know, the cap hit that he would come with, they move on with him after this season is uh, not the best, you know, allocation of their funds. But, I mean, if he's playing better, he's playing better. So, I mean, maybe that's one of those situations where you just eat that dead money after this season and then cut your losses. But, uh, yeah, that's a pretty bad look for Littleton, I must say. Hey, the Raiders have a Pro Bowl linebacker, though. He didn't play, obviously, in this one, but Denzel Perryman. Uh, we mentioned Max Crosby being named in the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl rosters don't come out until Wednesday, but I guess they decided let's for the teams that are playing, we're going to release their their rosters, their guys that made it. And, and the game is in Vegas this year, so along with Max Crosby, Denzel Perryman, and punter A.J. Cole. And for Perryman making it, I mean, here's a guy that the Panthers like signed in free agency, two-year deal, and 
just said the hell with him. We're getting not nah, get him out of here. At that point, you know, he was remember he was unvaccinated. He didn't want to didn't want to be vaccinated. wasn't wasn't available much during training camp. They trade him for nothing basically. And now he is. I, I looked it up, and I believe he is the first Raiders linebacker since Matt Millen in 1988 to make the Pro Bowl. Just think about. Just think about that, how long it has been. We, we, we've been talking all these years about finding competent linebacker play for the Raiders. 1988. Tashawn, I don't no, you were not born, right? No. <laughs> Shoot. That was before I was born. I mean, only half of us. Only half of us on this podcast were alive. You guys were not born in 1988? I was born in 1996. <laughs> I'm, I'm 89, so just right after. Good Lord. <laughs> Damn, so uh, that's how long it's been since the Raiders had a Pro Bowl linebacker. And I think it was him. And we always thought, like, last year they signed, you know, Kwiatkowski and Littleton. Like, oh, they finally got some guys. And it turns out the guy they picked up off the scrap heap who, because he knew Gus so well, fit in. He's been a great player. He's definitely running around. He's not great in pass coverage, but that's fine. He definitely makes enough plays in the running game and the pursuit to make up for that. But, um, yeah, he definitely well-deserved. I was a little surprised. I wasn't surprised he made it, but I thought other guys, I thought Casey Hayward may have had a better case. But um, Denzel's been great, so I think it's a nice honor for him and uh, a nice thing for the Raiders. Well, the fan voting helped him. He he finished number one in the fan voting among AFC inside linebackers. Missed this game with the ankle injury, uh, but it, I would imagine since they didn't put him on the short-term IR, there's a, a, maybe a chance that he plays against the Broncos playing through the ankle injury. So they need him back for sure. I mean, the run defense was, was good in this one, but obviously it's a huge lift for them if they can get him back. And Broncos are a pretty good rushing team as well as the Colts um, the week after that. So they're going to need him down the stretch here. All right. Well, this win, at the very least... It allows an interesting team, you know, they're interesting still going down into Christmas. Um, I mean, you figure they're going to be favorites next week against the Broncos. You win that, you're eight and seven. You know, hey, we don't know. It's it's still a long shot to make the playoffs because what what is it? Thirteen teams in the AFC, I believe, have at least seven wins. The logjam is so huge there. Um, and the Raiders, in terms of there's four other teams that are seven and seven, and the Raiders have the worst point differential among those, which obviously is largely due to their two games against the Chiefs. But they're still in it. I mean, you can you can go enjoy Christmas knowing that the Raiders are still <laughs> technically in the playoff hunt. And uh, enjoy Christmas. See what happens. Yeah, there you go. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas, Raider fans. All right, everybody. Well, we will be back on Wednesday. Going to go a little bit early this week to record our uh, our next episode as we get you ready for the Raiders taking on those fighting Drew Locks and the Denver Broncos. Drew Lock, uh, I'm thinking it's not going to be a great game for him, but we'll see. We'll see. It's his big opportunity, man. It's like his his last chance to show that he can actually and be. He's going to get the Raiders a couple uh, late Christmas presents, but we'll see. All right, y'all. We'll talk to you guys. All right, y'all. Adios. Later. Let's have some fun. Hey. Yeah. Yeah.